Welcome back, QAV. Yeah, this is episode 607. We're recording this on Valentine's Day. Happy Valentine's Day, TK. It's uh, 14th of February, 2023, and we've got a lot of lag. <laughs> Happy Valentine's Day to you too, and to our lovely wives. Thank you. Yes. I know, I ask you this every year, but are you celebrating Valentine's Day this year? No. Jenny walked into the apartment yesterday with a bunch of red roses, and I went, oh, they're nice. What are they for? <laughs> it's like, didn't even think about it. They were from you? You had your people send them? No, no, no. They were from her. To you? I don't know. <laughs> or to herself? To herself, I think. <laughs> She's pining away, oh. waiting for me to send flowers. <laughs> and then about an hour later, I walked in and went, I got it. That's why you got, <laughs> got roses. I'm sorry I didn't get you anything. And she said, that's fine. She said, I hate Valentine's Day. I just saw these on the, on the street and bought some because they look nice. Right. Yeah, we don't, we don't do Valentine's Day. So she's either being very diplomatic, which she does a lot, or you're right, we don't celebrate Valentine's Day. How about you? No, we don't do it. We, we think it's crock of shit. And it was Chrissy's birthday a week ago, so, you know, um, we, we did a lot of stuff then and we're not going to do more stuff. Took it to Hamilton. We went out. Uh, it was a good time. I'll talk about it later in After Hours. Won't bore people with that. Let's start off with maybe some portfolio updates, I think, Tony. Let people know what's going on. Let's have a look at the, uh, well, the the dummy portfolio, the QAV dummy portfolio for new listeners that's been running since uh, beginning of September 2019. According to Nevexa, we are up uh, 17.05%. That's CAGA per annum versus the benchmark, the STW, which is up about 7.93% per annum over the same period. So that looks good still. Of course, for the financial year, we're still nowhere near the benchmark. We're up 6.41% for the financial year versus the STW, which is up 21.2%. So as we've been talking about, it's having a corky year, a lot of money flowing back into the markets. It's been a kind of crazy week, though. RBA, we we mentioned on our show last week that the RBA was going to come out with a rates announcement, interest rate announcement, and they did. They pushed it up yet again, and the market was shocked, surprised by this apparently, (laughs) Tony, because the market's crashed. Yeah, it's. It's. uh, I think what they were shocked and surprised at is that they thought. I think 0.25 percent was probably expected, but it's pretty difficult to tell what the RBA's doing, but the market kind of formed the opinion that we're nowhere near the end of rate rises, which is one of the things that the market had been reaching as a consensus earlier on this year, which is why the market, the main sort of indexes on the market around the markets around the world have been going up because they think inflation is being tamed and we're getting close to the end of rate rises and maybe even some rate cuts. So that was a rude awakening last week to the share market. Rate cuts, really? They think we're close to those? In the US, I mean, remember that the share market sort of is casting a long shadow, to use Roger Montgomery's words, and is looking nine months in advance. And there was a school of thought, I don't know if that's still the case now after the last uh, Fed rate rise, there was a school of thought which said that inflation was coming under control, we're getting close to the end of interest rate rises, and if it looks like the American economy in particular is about to go into recession, there may even be an easing in rates that's not so strong as an opinion in the market at the moment in the last week. Well, 
apparently the US market was up last night because the all odds uh, had a huge recovery this morning. It had been going downhill for the last three or four days uh, and then spiked up this morning. Everyone got all excited, but it seems to have been coming back since then. So at the moment, all odds is trading at about 7633 off of uh, like a week ago, I was at 7734, closed yesterday around 7608, so it's up a little bit, but it's kind of choppy. I had to trade a bunch of things last week after the RBA announcement came out, and, you know, we've had commodities that are struggling as well on top of that, but I guess uh, it's just business as usual, really, isn't it? It is, yeah. And, you know, a couple of points. I sent you an article today about uh, the RBA governor. I think there's a bit of turmoil going on at the Reserve Bank. I suspect that the the PR spinners over there are trying to keep him away from microphones and cameras at the moment because he, uh, since he gave some guidance in the past, which uh, said interest rates wouldn't rise until 2024, which has caused a lot of problems for him in particular, but you know, perhaps for the economy as well. Uh, so for the first time, that I can think of after an RBA board meeting, he didn't come out and speak to the public. Uh, now, he, he said, okay, I didn't do it, but that's because I'm going to, to the Senate Estimates Committee this week and all will be revealed during the questioning at the Senate's Estimates Committee. So, okay, it, that normally happens as well as the RBA fronting the media after a bank meeting. The really strange thing, which I think has uh, probably sealed his uh his tenure at the RBA is finishing this year, is that uh, he didn't front the media, but he went along to a uh, a meeting of all the big banks uh, trading, uh, what they call it, their, um, their treasury departments, their treasury traders, and spoke to them behind closed doors. And, uh, you know, that's not a good look. The bond market moved after that meeting, even though he put out a press release saying he didn't say anything more than what was said in the press release following the RBA meeting, but something was said or intonated or expressed or inferred at a closed-door meeting to move the bond market. So I just don't know what he's thinking. I mean, again, all of these things are normal for an RBA governor. He wants he wants to move the bond market. If he can do it by what they call jawboning, talking to people like bond traders, then great. He doesn't have to put up interest rates. So I don't know what's going on, what the strategy is. It just um, strikes me anyway as an outside observer as that uh, there's a bit of panic going on over there. I've just wanted – I've come about the watch, mother. The watch is what he said. Yeah, well, it's um, – the RBA is under review, so it, this is all playing into the hands of a change in potentially, you know, a big shake-up at the RBA's. Central banks around the world since about the inflationary shock of the late 70s have all had this driving mandate of independence. And you can't make us political because then governments can move interest rates to suit their own agendas. And I get that. But that argument's also true for every other department in the government. Right? Every other department in the government has a, has a public service bureaucracy administration under it providing expert advice, and then it's up to the politicians to decide how or when or or what to do with that advice, except for the RBA and interest rates. So, you know, I, I kind of like an independent expert panel setting interest rates um, for the economy. I think that's not a bad model. 
but it only works as long as they're competent or appear to be competent. And there's been a few, uh, you know, a few 12 gauges to the foot in the last couple of years for the RBA. So uh, it may be that they get hauled into line and become a, become a branch of the Department of Treasury, and then um, they'll have a lot more influence from the Treasurer on what interest rates are going to be. You think if the government was running it, it would be more competent? No, not at all. I actually subscribe to the argument that an expert panel is a better way to run things than a, a bunch of politicians. But, uh, you know, the risk in, the, in this kind of, in, in our particular political system is that eventually, you know, one government of the day is going to get sick of the expert panel either being incompetent or, uh, or going against what the government wants, and they're just going to put their arm out and hook them back into being a branch of government. And I think that's, a, I'm not saying it will happen, but it's a potential outcome for the review. Well, speaking of reviews, there have been a lot of, uh, what we say, confessions coming out of confession <laughs> season. Guidance downgrades, I think, is the uh, terminology that gets used. Star Entertainment, Star Casino's share price collapsed by 20.5% when they said that they're probably going to have to cop an impairment charge for all of the dodgy shit that they've been doing. There was uh, JB Hi-Fi. Look, before we leave Star, I mean, first of all, it's it's not it's not on our buy list because it's had a qualified audit for a while, so that saved us from investing in it because I think it probably would have been on our buy list otherwise, even though sentiment's been bad since the uh, the Royal Commission. But um, <laughs> yes, they've got an impairment charge. But I mean, how lucky are they not to wind up with striped suits on in the big house? Because uh, as as and I, it's not me talking. It's um, there was a, a judge I read in the Fin Review today who just said. What the hell are you guys doing in the government regulator uh, looking after casinos? It's taken a year now and you still haven't started a prosecution against them. Pull your finger out and get going. So I think there's been a fair bit of regulatory capture when it comes to, you know, governments regulating casinos. Um, and again, I'll be careful of what I say. I don't want to say much more than people have already said in the press, but, uh, you know, there's a whole lot of reasons for it um, and a whole lot of reasons why it happens. And one of them, I suspect is that they've been horribly underfunded. If a government of the day doesn't want the government to regulate something, they put one guy in a, you know, um, Room you know closet. A, a shared workspace out in the western suburbs <laughs> with a two-hour commute every day, and uh, that's how they regulate things. That's the same guy that was apparently running robo debt calls. Uh, we don't know. We don't know who he was. Can't yeah. find him. No record of him. Sorry, what me? Uh, you, Minister, did you know what was going on? No. What's me? No, I didn't pay any attention to that. It's not my job. Not my job. Wasn't Scott Morrison's job to do anything about the fires and uh, wasn't that guy's job to know anything about robo-debt either. Anyway, back to confession season. JB Hi-Fi warned about slowing sales growth. Their share price took a 5.6% hit. Super Retail were down. Bapcor were down. Fletcher Building skidded 5.3% after issuing guidance downgrades. Orion Holdings was down 6.8% after guidance downgrades. So it's uh, been a little bit choppy out there this week. Yeah, so I think it's Horizon Holdings, which is the train, the coal hauling company. Horizon. Uh, I copied this from Ausbiz. Ausbiz had a typo in there. Thing. Yeah. Anyway, just to clarify that, it's Horizon. I think the interesting one is JB Hi-Fi. It's a really well-run company. And it was only last month that, you know, we were all saying, look how great the results are going to be for retailers because the 
all the retail traffic is out, probably on the back of people shopping more with COVID because they can't go overseas and and they've got more cash to spend. And now interest rates are biting and the people are forming a different opinion as as guidance is given. So that all makes sense, but it does point to how rising interest rates are going to bite uh, in the economy. So that's going to be the feature of this reporting season, I think, and everyone's going to very carefully watch supply chain increases in costs. Uh, if it's a retail-facing company, what's the consumer doing? What's foot traffic like? What's like-for-like uh, like sales like? All that kind of stuff. But uh, yeah, I mean, uh, surprise, surprise, when interest rates go up, the economy slows. That's why the RBA does it. Whether that's going to solve inflation or not, I'm not sure, because as prices go up, people also put up put in more demands for wage growth. So that could just be a start of a cycle too. Speaking of supply chain issues, I noted that the CEO of JB Hi-Fi, I believe it's a Mr. Smart, said that they don't have any supply chain issues anymore. Everything they want, they can get. That's all streamlined and running well now. I'm not sure if that's true across all industries, but uh, that was interesting to read this morning. That is, that's that's a positive note, because if that's the case, I think then inflation will come down, whether the RBA is right to raise interest rates or not, because that's one of the problems. On the other hand, I did notice as well that OPEC have put their, the oil price up and Russia's followed suit. So at least that part of the economy is still going to get stung with higher prices for a while. After Joe Biden apparently fist bumped MBS and uh, asked him not to put oil prices up, he did it anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what, what's the price of a fist bump these days amongst friends? Let's talk about the thermal coal cell line. Uh, Daryl asked on Facebook what the cell price for thermal is. I plug the numbers into the 3PTL calculator. I get $172.95 as the cell price. Do you agree? Yeah, I haven't plugged it into the spreadsheet, but just using a line on the graph, I got something just south of 200. So. I had a look again today. It was around 175, 180. So I, yes, I do agree. I think that's about right. So it's been a bit a uh, bit rough for our thermal coal companies out there, NHC uh, in particular, WHC. They've been taking a beating. YAL, Y-A-L, another one. Heracom, yep. It's an interesting graph. You could fudge. I did fudge it a couple of weeks ago, in which case it would just be a sell now. So it's one of it's again. It's one of those uh, U-shaped bottoms to the graph. So whether you take an eight percent flat bottom or increase it a little bit more, it becomes material to where the cell line is. So you're right to say it's uh, in the mid hundred and one hundred seventy-two or whatever the number is, or one hundred and eighty as the cell price. But you know, you, if if that's worrying people out there, they could fudge it, and you get a cell price now if you change the flat bottom percentage a little bit. But either way, I'm, I'm going to stick with the current sell price. I think there's room for coal prices to bottom out and come back up. I've got no real signs for that, but that's the whole reason for sticking with a commodity when it drops is that it's hard because the share price is going down for the mining stocks that you own. But you, know, you must be getting closer to the bottom every day. It gets closer to that sort of resistance line. I did read a report from Ord Manette, so from Alex Hayes' firm, the stockbrokers uh, on research into the coal price and they do a lot of work on how much supplies in the system, which companies have what stockpiles, what's driving demand, all that kind of stuff. And they said that they think the bottom of the, the coal price is going to be between $180 and $200. But 
you know, that's their model and that's their forecast, so who knows. But with such a steep decline, we, we should be getting to a bottom fairly soon, I would have thought. Right, so you're sticking with the current sell line. You're not fudging it at this stage. Yes. And I noticed I, I came close to a rule one sell with Whitehaven Coal last week, which is one of the reasons I was focusing on the coal price. But it has gone up again since then. So, you know, that's the other thing to take into account is that the share price of the miner should reflect the share price of the, of what people think is going to happen with coal. So um, regardless of what Ord Minnets think or what we think is a three-point trend line sell, it's if the share price of Whitehaven is still going up, then someone or the market out there thinks that the price is going to rebound. Well, speaking of rebounding, I just want to remind people that uh, dividend season we are in. So before you sell anything, just uh, check the dividends. I, I got a sell on my alert today for VUK, uh, Virgin Money, and uh, but luckily I checked and it has gone XDiv on the 9th of February. Payment date is the 15th of March. When I plugged the dividend in, it was no longer a sell, although I see it seems to have dropped again uh, since then. Uh, so uh, it's up 1% today. So it's still pretty close to a rule one for me, even with the dividend factored in. But just uh, just a reminder, check your dividends before you pull the trigger on any sells out there. Uh, you don't want to shoot yourself in the foot with that. No, there's nothing. It's happened to me in the past over the years, and there's nothing worse than selling because the price has dropped quickly, and then two months later getting a dividend check and going, "Oh shit, that's why it, that's why it <laughs> dropped." Now yeah. I understand. <laughs> yeah, so add the dividend back to the current price and see if it still breaches a sell line for you. And even I, I tend to add back the franking credits because they're worth something as well. Yeah, I have that all built into my sheet now that automatically calculates that for me because I tend to forget that too. Let's talk about CDM. I noticed CDM on the buy list this week, and it, when I looked into it, it's a CDL. Uh, what? It's an LIC. Yeah. <laughs> what the hell is a CDL? <laughs> I don't even know what that is. CDM is an LIC. I'm, I'm suffering from uh, three-letter acronym uh, disease. Cadence Capital CDM. You got any idea why it might not be getting filtered out in our filters? Well, it's definitely an LIC, a listed investment company. I think the reason why it's not being filtered out is that the majority of uh, LICs don't get a what's called a, a JIC code, a GIC code, which is how the ASX allocates stocks to different industries. And we filter out all the ones that don't have a GIC code. But I have noticed a couple get called diversified finances. So they get lumped in with the likes of Credit Corp and actually trading operational finance companies, um, and it sneaks through on that basis. So it should be removed. And just in, for a recap, we we don't like putting LICs on the buy list because one of our major metrics to decide whether the buy or sell a company is based on operating cash flow. And for ETFs and LICs, that can be affected by you know other things besides the profitability of the underlying company, like share redemption, share buys. Yeah, et cetera. Stock Doctor even says CDM is a listed investment company and as such does not have a financial health rating. Licks are effectively managed funds and are not actual companies. We can only assess financial health and our growth and or income gold and real criteria on an actual business, not a fund that simply holds investments. So similar sort of position to us, right? Similar thing, yeah. 
So just take note of that, folks. Um, I'll try and make a note on the buy list for next week to remember to remove CDM if it keeps cropping up. And look, no disrespect to Cadence Capital. It's been around for a long time. It's you know a well-established listed investment company. It just doesn't fit the profile that we use to value companies. So we exclude them. What else have you got on uh, the news of the week, TK? Yeah, so I'm only going to say that uh, there was something else to talk about with Whitehaven Coal. I did notice last week that a large shareholder sold a stake, so that is perhaps why it did start to flirt with my Rule 1 sell line, apart from the fact the coal price is declining. And the fact that that trade went through and everything's hunky-dory might mean that that's why the share price has gone up this week, even though the coal price is still declining. So that even though mining companies generally track the underlying commodity, there is other corporate activity which can change that. But generally, generally they do. So that's why having coal. I did a couple of couple of comments on pulled pork. I did a pulled pork on seven Channel Seven recently, Seven West, Seven Media, I think it's now called, and noticed in the last week uh, that they at least investment bankers are flo- floating the idea of a merger between. HTE and 7, and the share price has gone up a little bit this week. So the curse of the pulled pork might be in abeyance for that one. And uh, I'm going to do a pulled pork on Fletcher Building. Um, and luckily, it's February 14 and not February 13 because they came out with a profit downgrade yesterday. So maybe when someone requested a pulled pork on FBU, the, the market heard and sold off the, the, the shares in between. Well, the share price for uh, Seven West Media is not doing great either. A week ago, it was trading at forty-seven and a half cents. It's now trading at forty-three. It crashed down yesterday and today, so it was a de- <laughs> delayed reaction to the uh, Paul Pork on that one. The curse is aligned and well then. Yes, it is. And yeah, Paul Fletcher Building. In terms of Seven, I'm not going to. I'm not surprised that there's going to be some M and A in activity. It's a it's an industry facing a lot of headwinds. And so companies are just, I mean, every company looks for growth. And if you're not getting it from your basic business, another way to do it is to go and merge with someone or acquire them or be acquired. So expect to see a lot more activity in this space. And speaking of that, I watched the Super Bowl yesterday and noticed that Elon Musk was in the box with sitting next to Rupert Murdoch. at the, And there's a photo actually of it in today's Fin Review. So they had the same idea I did. So. Uh, the first thing I thought of was MySpace. Well, the second thing I thought of was, you know, two peas in a pod, <laughs> two, uh, two uh, Bond villains <laughs> getting together <laughs> to rule the world. But yeah, you, you wonder why the owner of Twitter is talking with the owner of News Corp. I know you're not a, you, you don't watch Succession, but that's like something straight out of Succession. The old media guy meeting with the young whippersnapper billionaire and they're trying to figure out, this is the last season, trying to figure out who's going to buy who and how it all fits together. They're, they're trying to figure out a merger and, you know, who's going to end up on top and who's trying to crash the other one's share price so they can end up coming out on top of the merger and the acquisitions. So, yeah. Exactly. And so it'll be interesting to see if anything happens and, and also who's the smarter of the two. I mean, the last time we went around with a dot-com boom, News Corp bought MySpace and it paid a lot and, didn't get anything for it. So hopefully they're once bitten twice shy if you're a News Corp shareholder, but uh, watch the space. Yeah, but the flip side of that argument is MySpace was a potential threat to News Corp and it's not anymore. So 
Yeah, a lot of these I remember from the dot com, the early dot com, yeah, original dot com days. It was I remember when the big retailers started buying companies like Wishlist and D Store, and then just uh, oh yeah, no, we're not going to change sort of Rupert's old line. Whenever he would buy a newspaper, like yeah, we're not going to change. We love what you're doing. We're not going to change the management. We're not going to change the editors, the editorials. It's all great. We just we just want to play. You know, we just want to own it because it's great. And that would last six months to a year, and then the night of the long knives would come out, and it'll be yeah. They, at least they would keep them on board, you know. But when the big corporates buy the dot coms, they tend to just shut them down because the, the, they know the old world; they don't know the new world, right? Well, yeah, this is all speculation. I, I did also think that it's interesting that one of the first things Elon did when he took over Twitter was to invite Donald Trump back on and to take all of the check some barriers away from free speech and hate speech and things like that, or most of them anyway, on Twitter, which would be right up Murdoch's alley. If he can recreate Fox News in the to the young kids on Twitter, that's got to be attractive to him. Yeah. Elon uh, allowed hate speech unless it was hate against him. <laughs> he, <laughs> <laughs> he was kicking people off. <laughs> Yeah, and he put out a quiz uh, or a survey saying, uh, should I run Twitter or not? And everyone came back and said, no, you're an idiot. <laughs> and he's still running it. So. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> Opinions are only worth so much, really. All right, so who are you going to do a pork, pork on today? Uh, quick, grab your uh, grab your stockbrokers and get ready to sell. It's, it's Fletcher Building, <laughs> FBU. And the only reason I'm doing this is because it was a request a week or so ago. So thanks for the request. We were asked for two, uh, Regis Resources or Fletcher Building. And I think Fletcher Building is more topical at the moment, given their results are out tomorrow and there's a downgrade announcement out yesterday. So I'll talk about that. But also, too, I think it's, uh, well, it's still on the buy list. So I'm not sure if Regis is on the buy list. So I'm going to do Fletcher Business, Fletcher Building, sorry, this week. And then I will do uh, Regis next week. Good strategy to wait until the share price crashes, then do the pulled pork. So we we can't get blamed for the share price crashing. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a good strategy if you have a company you're a bit worried about. Email us and say you want it to be done as a pulled pork, because then you've got at least a week to <laughs> to get out before we, before we analyze. <laughs> well, you do it. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Let me just find uh, my my notes on FBU, but. Um, yeah, so Fletcher Building, for anyone who doesn't know, is a large construction company. It's New Zealand-based, and but it also operates in Australia. It's one of New Zealand's biggest companies, so it's considered blue chip from that perspective. It also does retail building products, including concrete, but also things like Laminex and uh, other you know building products that are used in building new apartments. And it also is a developer, so it does also sell into the housing markets, retail housing markets. So you do find if you have a look at their assets that they do land bank and then they will uh, build and then um, sell off developments into the residential uh, space. And that's been good and bad for them. They're, they're pretty good at managing the cycle. And one of the things that they spoke about during their confession season announcement yesterday was uh, operating cash flow had been high in the last couple of years because with a strong residential market due to all the money staying onshore during COVID and people working from home and wanting to buy bigger and better homes, they you know, are quite savvy in releasing land into that market and developing residential lots and selling them off. 
they're now announcing they're going to reverse that and they're going to start refreshing that land bank now that property prices are coming off in the residential space. So that will be a, a drain on operating cash flow for the company going forward. And so that's an interesting thing for us because operating cash flow is a big driver of our valuations for, for companies. Uh, so we'll see what happens. The numbers I'm going to give you are based on numbers which are now six months old. And the new numbers are going to be announced tomorrow, even though there was some guidance given yesterday in the announcement. And uh, the, the guidance yesterday was mainly about six months hence when the end of financial year numbers are released. So the numbers released tomorrow for the half. And they should be pretty good. As they say, it's been a strong half for them. It's only going forward that they think they're going to have a slowdown. And part of that reasoning is because there's been a lot of weather in, in New Zealand in particular, the Auckland. So, you know, thoughts go out to my our Kiwi mates that uh, you're doing it pretty tough over there with another another rain, I wouldn't call it a cyclone, but another rain depression hitting Auckland pretty hard in the last 24 hours. So that environment's not great for construction companies. They obviously send everyone home on, on wet weather days and so they can't do much work and uh, that affects their bottom line. Again, that's probably temporary. So you need to look through sometimes some of these things. It's always hard to know what to do. So that's why we focus on the numbers. I guess my uh, my recommendation out of all this is if you hold uh, FBU, wait and see what the results are like and when they come into Stock Doctor in a couple of days and then drop into our buy list, have a look, see what the share price does. And I am doing this analysis today on the February, 4, February 14th, 2023. Share price is 443 and uh, that's only 20 cents above the three-point trend line sell. So if the results come out tomorrow and they're not received well, the share price could go below our sell line. So that's one thing to bear in mind. And it's also currently a Josephine following the fact that it dropped, I think, about 7% yesterday on after the announcement was released. So uh, you wouldn't be buying it today anyway. And that's the end of the free episode of QAV for this week. If you're a new listener, I just should let you know how this works. So we have a free episode every week, runs for about half an hour. We have a premium episode also every week. It goes for another 30 to 60 minutes, depending on how many questions we get. It's where Tony answers questions from our club members. If you want to check out the premium episodes and all the other benefits of being a QAV club member, which is access to the checklist and, and the Bible and uh, the private Facebook groups and the other comms channels that we have invites to the dinners, Zoom calls, etc., etc. Just sign up for the two-week free trial and check out all that stuff out. You can do that at qavpodcast.com.au. Look for the um, free trial button there. And if you uh, like the idea of value investing QAV style but don't feel like you have the time or resources to uh, learn how to do QAV for yourself, think about signing up for QAV Lite. That's our relatively new service where we send you the stock tips every week. And then we also monitor those stocks in a portfolio. And if they become a sell, we email our QAV Lite members and tell them that it's time to sell that stock and what to replace it with. Check that out too. It's sort of a low effort way of doing QAV. Still better if you know how to do it yourself, I think, because Tony could get hit by a bus and then where are you? But, uh, you know, while he's not, <laughs> we can do this. So check that out, qavpodcast.com.au slash light, L-I-G-H-T. That's it. If you don't want to sign up to any of those, just keep listening to the free episodes. 
And if you have any questions, uh, shoot me an email. you find that on our website too. All right, have a great week and good luck with your investing. The QAV podcast is a production of Spacecraft Publishing Proprietary Limited, authorised representative of AFS cell 520442, AFS representative number 00129217182. Please don't make any investment decisions based solely on listening to this podcast. This is presented as general advice only, not personal financial advice. We don't know your personal financial circumstances. Please see a financial planner before making any investing decisions. 